Thank you so much for joining The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I am your host, Sharon Feckety, the author of The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I hope you will go on Amazon and purchase the book or download it on Audible and listen to the book so you can get some more insight as to why I decided to start this podcast show a few years ago and continue the conversation. You're going to hear from professionals. You're going to hear from people with lived experience, those that struggle with anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. Uh, You're going to listen to people that have recovered. Uh, You're going to hear resources about how you can navigate through this broken road to mental health and life in a business. And you will certainly be hearing me talk about the importance of having this discussion in business today. That is what I speak about at conferences, and I hope that you will take it seriously. We need to speak more about mental health in the workplace. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Please be sure to tell somebody you know that might be struggling to subscribe, to listen, to watch and share it with others. You are not alone on this broken road to mental health. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. If you are new to the broken road to mental health, welcome. If you are an avid listener, thank you. Uh, I'm very happy to introduce today the CEO of Boardwalk Recovery Center. His name is Tommy Hawthorne. Close enough. Yeah. Tom, Tommy Hawthorne. 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 Yes. Trying, yeah, trying <laughs> to say it with a Long Island, Tampa Bay infused accent, not easy. Yep. Try saying yep. mine, Tommy. Let's see what's yours. Oh. Yeah, thank you. You feel better now? <laughs> yep. Say it. <laughs> it's feckity. Got it, feckity. All right. Yeah. So um, this is going to be, you know, I've said this many times on the show before, so you've heard it or you've watched it on video that I love to be an audience member. I love to learn as I'm interviewing because I want this always to be as raw and authentic as possible because that is how I live my life. So why shouldn't the show be that way? So very happy to talk to anybody that dares step into the world of the treatment center and very grateful because if it wasn't for the first two rehabs that I went to, I probably would have never even heard that there was a better way to live. So welcome to the show, Tommy. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So I always like to know a little bit of an origin story before we get into um, the biz of what you're doing today. Mm -hmm. So why don't you give um, your a, a short version of your experience, strength, and your hope? Well, I was born in New York, like we talked about before, before the uh, before you press record. Born in New York, left New York uh, on bad terms at a very young age, at twelve. Um, pretty much kicked. Well, I was literally kicked out of my father's house. Moved in with my mother, had some pretty uh, poor experiences there, ended up in my first incarcerated for the first time at 14 for drugs. And then uh, I want to say it was, uh, I got sentenced to six months, so I probably did about 90 days. Obviously, that's a long time ago, so I can't quite remember. But um, in any case, uh, incarcerated for the first time at 14, 
in rehab for the first time at 15. Um, moved to San Diego, California at that time, right after rehab. Got here, uh, sh- continued to struggle pretty bad. Ended up in a psychiatric hospital and stayed 11 months in a 30-day psychiatric hospital. Long story. That should say enough. Mm-hmm. And then um, pretty much uh, pretty much went to the streets shortly after leaving that place and stayed on the streets um, for a few years. Um, I, you know... I struggled with life. I didn't quite struggle with, I didn't feel like I struggled. I know what struggling with drugs and alcohol looks like. At -hmm. that time, I would say I wasn't struggling with drugs and alcohol. I was struggling with life. Mm. So, but I did do drugs and alcohol. I partied, as you would say. I partied for a number of years until um, it got a hold of me for real. It got a hold of me for real. My first, drug of choice, if you will, that got a hold of me was heroin. Um, that would have been probably somewhere in the mid nineties. I struggled with heroin until probably 99 or 2000. Um, and through a chain of events, my, um, now wife went away to rehab. I stopped doing heroin, but switched to meth, um, switched to meth and alcohol, pretty hardcore stayed that way until 2004 and that that decade is what i know as struggling with drugs and alcohol um at the very end uh, of in and out of jail and court dates and all that stuff um, i ended up i was homeless at the very end in 2004 uh ended up in court one last time and i was negotiating my way down from 11 years in prison, agreed to seven years in prison Mm. and walked into court, ready to sign for seven years in prison. And my public defender on my right, the DA, the district attorney on the left, the judge in front of me, everybody stated their case. And the judge said, has Mr. Hathorne ever had an opportunity at recovery? Oh, wow. And I looked at the public defender and I looked at the DA and I was like, why didn't you bozos think of that? You know what I mean? <laughs> Me, please. And I, I looked at the judge and I was, I said, no. And he said, I, I think we need to give this guy an opportunity of getting sober. Mm. And I said, hell yeah, we do. And you know, that mean no jail so, judge. I mean, I was in jail, you know, I'm, I'm chopping it up and just trying right. to move it along. But uh, the judge, the judge gave me a shot. He said, if if your name ever comes across another judge's desk, you're getting all seven of these years plus whatever he's got for you. And I said, deal. So I walked out of jail, you know, whatever it was the next day, a couple days later. And I had my, my one opportunity Mm. and I'm still, I'm still working on that one opportunity. I'm still a free man on that one opportunity. I got out, uh, not, didn't know really much about, you know, real recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I went in and out of recovery for one meeting here and there just to maybe take a breather, mm-hmm. but I had no real defense. And when the thought crossed my mind, I did not respond well, mm-hmm. uh, the thought crossed my mind. I'm sitting in a meeting, maybe in the nineties or something like that. I'm sitting in a meeting and I get the efforts and I'm like, 
yeah, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Boom, I'm gone. So I come into recovery in 04 and uh, I called the, you know, pretty much the only guy I knew, my, my only friend that was in recovery. I said, man, what do I do? Mm-hmm. So through a couple of, you know, call this guy, call that guy type of thing, I end up in a sober living. Now, I ended up in a sober living in, in my, what I'd consider my hometown mm-hmm. here in San Diego, Pacific Beach. And that sober living was threatened by the city to be condemned five different times. Hmm. It was a shithole. I lived in three different rooms in that sober living. And all three of the rooms that I lived in had glass missing in the windows. Nice. When it rained, and it doesn't rain often here in San Diego, but when it did, we had to bring in the city trash cans that you put out on the street. We had to bring those into our rooms because the the roof leaked so bad. Okay. Now you would the, your bathroom your bathroom trash can wasn't big enough, right? So you, we, I mean, it was disgusting. It was shot out. However, I tell that story because many times over the years I've had to have this type of conversation with individuals about willingness, mm. about desperation about embracing opportunities. And what I tell them is that the most willing person can get sober anywhere. Mm -hmm. And the least willing, the most unwilling person won't get sober anywhere. Mm -hmm. You can send an unwilling person to any one of my places, which I would consider the best places around. And they, 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 they they don't care. They won't, they won't participate. They won't embrace the opportunity. They won't, listen, they won't, you know, et cetera, et cetera, because they're not willing. They don't care, but you can send the most willing, which would have been me to the most shot out environment. And I don't care. Mm -hmm. I I don't care what kind of environment I'm in. I'm going to be the only survivor is my attitude. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and I, and 19 years later, I am literally one of the few that is still sober from those days mm. in that house. I identify. So the, yeah. The most willing can get sober anywhere and the least willing won't get sober anywhere. That's true. So, <clears throat> and no, that's not a, an absolute truth. It's not, you know, black and white like that, but pretty, pretty damn close. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you know, you've been sober 29 years. I've been sober 19 years. We've had a lot of opportunity to observe mm-hmm. that truth. Yes. You know, we hear people that come in, <clears throat> excuse me. We hear people that come into the rooms, uh, you know, 12 step rooms. The rooms of recovery. Bitching and moaning <clears throat> about this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting in the room and you're like, yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not feeling that. I'm not hearing that. I'm not seeing that. I don't know why you're bitching and moaning. Mm-hmm. You made it. Right. You're alive. You see, yeah, you're alive. You made it. This is your shot. Embrace yeah. it. And then you see other people come crawling in, mm-hmm. just just desperate. And they're just tell me what to do. Right. Right? So um but anyway, so I'm sorry, I've digressed, but 
That's okay. Well, I what embraced, it, so tell I, me. Yeah. So now that was 2004. 2004. And so I embraced recovery. I, I embraced recovery and I, I did not care what I was going to have to do. I didn't care who I was going to do it with. I didn't care if I was going to have to wear a, uh, 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 hi, my name is Tommy, uh, you know, badge on my shirt and go door to door. Hi, my name is Tommy. Have you heard of Alcoholics Anonymous? I was going to do it. I uh-huh. did. I was going to do anything it took to stay sober, get my girl back, get my kid back, not go to prison, except not be homeless, sleep indoors. I was going to do whatever it took. Right. That's That was my attitude in 2004. That's my attitude today. Mm. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And um, I, you know, I embraced every opportunity. Now my sponsor would say, yes, you definitely embraced every opportunity, but you had a bad attitude about it all. True. <laughs> I had a bad attitude. I was a little foul. I mean, you know, early recovery was rough. I was an animal. And mm-hmm. so this whole recovery thing was very new to me. Why can't I fist fight at meetings? Explain this to me. Why can't I sleep with every girl around? Mm-hmm. Explain this mm-hmm. to me. I, I was, you know, a little rough around the edges. However, when my sponsor said something, although I argued with him, I did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the time I had a year sober or something like that, um, I was sponsoring 20, 30, 40 guys at a time. Mm. I lived like that, um, you know, started working and, you know, nickel and diamond leveling up my life mm-hmm. uh, for however several many several years, got the girl back, I got my kid back in my life, obviously stayed out of prison, slept indoors, you know, on and on and on. And I would incrementally level up in recovery all the while. Recovery is absolutely number one, work and family and fun. All that stuff is far second, but recovery is number one. And um, I, I incrementally leveled up until probably, I don't remember now, maybe eight years sober. I had um, two of my friends owned a treatment center um, and they called me out of the blue. I was a carpenter at this time. They called me out of the blue and asked me if I would come work with them. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what? I mean, if you guys can pay me what I'm getting paid now, you know, I'm down. And they said that they could. And I left construction. I sort of been, I'm, I'm kind of loosely guessing maybe somewhere around 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. And so I left construction, went and worked for these guys uh, running a treatment center. Um, and I was making observations along the way. I absolutely loved my job with them, started at the bottom and, and you know, just worked contributed way however I was, however mm-hmm. I was asked to contribute. And um, after about a year or so, maybe two, I can't remember now, um, I was kind of grumbling in my head about, you know, if this place, if this was my place, I'd be doing it this way and that way. And I remember one day I heard it as clear as day. I heard God tell me, you either need to be grateful for where I put you or go do it yourself. Mm. And I was like, whoa. And I looked at the owners and I said, I think I'm going to go start my own place. Mm. One, one of them kind of had a little poopy attitude about it. And the other one was an encourager. And um, 
took me about a year to build that place up. And right when I got it started, I called the guy that was an encourager and I said, Hey, you want to come with me? <laughs> and he said, yep. And he left his own company to come work with me and start my first. Oh, wow. I have, I have since left that first place, handed it off to some other folks because I was busy doing some other things and couldn't really give it the attention it needed and have started uh, one, two, three, three other places since then. And then um, I'm responsible for man managing another, so a fourth place. Um, and my life is absolutely bonkers. My work life, it's like um, some days I am levitating and some mm -hmm. days I am buried. Mm -hmm. Some days I um, feel the, my, the oneness with my creator. And some days I feel like, you know, swan diving off uh, a bridge. Yeah. Some days I feel like I have the best teams in the world. Other days I feel like I'm running a circus. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's a wild life. Um, but I've never had it remotely good, uh, uh, remotely close to this good, not even remotely. My parents didn't take this good a care of me. I have an amazing life all, you know, all in all. I have an amazing life. I've been married to my wife for, I think, I get it right. or 17 years. I can't even remember. I don't remember how many years, but December 2nd, that's my anniversary. I, okay. all I remember is December 2nd. Uh, I've been married to my wife for, you know, however many years. I've mm -hmm. been with her since I was 17. I've been with my wife since I was 17. So, you know, awesome. 32 years I've been with my wife. And uh, we have two amazing kids. That's great. And um, life is yeah, good. good life. So, all right. Life, well, crazy life. I want to jump in now. Uh, congratulations on, on many things. Congratulations, first and foremost, on um, crawling out of hell. I uh, understand mm -hmm. what that feels like. And um, I also understand the journey of recovery and all of the ups and downs. And I, too, heard a voice. I've heard many voices in my life. But one of them said, you got to write this book. And I had been myself for 25 years of my recovery, silent, meaning that I was already, I was running businesses, working with um, physicians and uh, had a very, you know, profesh type life, which I, I still do, but nobody knew. And I decided to live my recovery out loud. And I think that that has been a, a wonderful gift considering um, I, like you, could have been, you know, a statistic. So my question, uh, first and foremost, is about your boardwalk recovery centers. So for somebody like myself, who um, you said you are one of the few that have remained, I too, as a matter of fact, somebody just found me that I went to my first rehab with when I was 18 years old and reached out and she is, you know, sober a few years, but had to test the waters a bunch of times like many, and some are dead that I got sober with. Uh, one of mm -hmm. my very good friends OD'd just a few years ago. And that's the reality of sobriety, uh, recovery, drug addiction, depression, mental health issues. So, you know, when I think of my recoveries, I refer to them as um, 
I always called them like day camps because I love them. Like I, I joke how much, like, I wish I could as much resistance as I had to a rehab when I was 18. I'm like, check my ass in for 30 days, please. Let me talk about myself. Let me wake up and meditate and do some yoga, eat some nutritional food and talk about my feelings all day. That sounds fantastic. If you are a sober woman like me, you absolutely hate that there are no other options at that business event you have to go to, that happy hour event with no other choices except soda and water. You don't even really have a mocktail on the menu, and I don't really trust it sometimes because I am a sober woman, no alcohol intake. Well, you are so lucky because if you live here in Tampa Bay, we have a beautiful space called Urban Flow that is a non-alcoholic beverage haven. So I'm just going to show you a few of my favorites if you're watching. This one is Hayo. This one is Rockaway, obviously, because I'm from East Rockaway, Long Island, New York. And this one is Busty Lush. Okay, non-alcoholic beer, woman-owned. This one here is an example of a beer that I would not drink because it's got low alcohol, 0.5%, but I wouldn't touch a drop of alcohol. So I stick to the ones that are absolutely non-alcoholic and they're delicious and they're functional. And this space is right here in Tampa Bay. So if you're looking for a refreshing and a unique selection of functional drinks, oh my God, that are so delicious, check out Urban Flow, baby. So, but I did, um, I did not get sober through a rehab this time, but like I mentioned before, the, uh, if that message had not been offered to me as an 18 year old young lady, by the time I was 21, when I got sober in the rooms of recovery and through my father's EAP counselor at New York hospital, I don't know what would have happened, right? That message of hope had been dropped and you don't forget it, no matter how high you get, you do know that there was a better or is a better life out there. So, um, and rehabs here in Tampa Bay, Florida are like uh, McDonald's. There's a shit ton of them. They're everywhere. And I am disgusted by most of what I hear and what I see. And I know a few are doing it right. And I always love to hear that somebody that is running them is an example of what it is, not, and you know, people have done big things, right? When they just get sober they're, or they're brand new, they've done, they've done great things, but I would assume that you understand how much you've been able to grow as a human being through being in recovery and doing the work for as long as you have before you made a decision that you were going to try to help others. Because the thing that I loathe more than what could I compare it to more than just somebody being full of shit is somebody trying to pass on a mess instead of a message. So that said, Tommy, <laughs> I would love to know about what your um, boardwalk recovery center is built on, knowing that it is built on you first, what it looks like, what somebody would expect to come into a space like yours. Let's start, <clears throat> start with um, 
because it is built on me. I, in staff meetings, I will go around the room and jam up everybody that's in recovery about their own recovery Good. because I don't want them. I, if somebody says, I haven't been to a meeting in a couple of weeks or I haven't talked to my sponsor in a couple of weeks, I'm not sponsoring anybody right now, et cetera, et cetera. I go, then what are you telling our clients? Right. So well, what are you showing them? What are you, what are you, what are you showing them? them? What are you oh. telling them? There's nothing worse than a hypocrite, right? Oh. So don't go telling our clients, oh, work a program, call your sponsor, take the steps, sponsor other guys, go to meetings, and you're not, mm -hmm. right? So anyway, we'll start there. Board, there are, uh, as you would imagine, or I would imagine that you already know, but many of your listeners may or may not know, there are levels of care in the rehab world. Um, obviously, we start with um, the emergency room, the highest level of care. Second would be a detox and a residential program, detox and 30-day program, inpatient, they have different names, whatever, same thing. Then you step down to an outpatient program or an aftercare program, and then um, a truly outpatient uh, scenario where you might have just standalone sober livings, you know, mm -hmm. supportive housing, and you might see a therapist, you know, once a week, et cetera, et cetera. That would be like near the lowest level of care. And then just regular sober living and you're, you know, you got some structure, et cetera. Um, so I have a detox residential program called San Diego Detox. That is the highest level of care. I also have Boardwalk Recovery, which is an outpatient program and supportive housing, sober living homes. Mm -hmm. They live in these homes. They come to treatment during the day and then they have, you know, meetings and stuff like mm -hmm. that. They go to at night um, and the houses have their own structures and accountability and et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. But during the day, they're in treatment at Boardwalk Recovery. Um, and then I also, right now, I'm opening a primary mental health program called Pacific Beach Health. Um, and I manage a female uh, uh, outpatient program called Soledad Health. Um, and I, I do not manage the women at all. Thank God all, you said that. At all. I support the executive director. She does everything. I do not. There ain't nothing worse than a man managing some women. You know what I'm saying, I do not Tommy? do that. Like, I as support, soon as you said that, I was yeah, like, no. uh, oh. No, good. I support, I support the executive director in anything I can do to help her, and Beautiful. I help with the marketing and things like that. Nice. So in any case, um, so those are the places uh, mm -hmm. that I that I you know, own and operate and mm -hmm. manage, et cetera. Boardwalk Recovery Center. Um, all of them are 12 step heavy. Um, mm -hmm. uh, boardwalk Recovery, four or five uh, therapists, four or five case managers, a slew of support staff, um, the doctor, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So at Boardwalk in particular, we're really, really, really focused on an individual's mental health and life skills, mm -hmm. huge. That, look at getting sober is obvious. Mm -hmm. That's obvious. The real meat and potatoes though, 
um, to, you know, that couples getting sober is your mental health and life skills. Mm-hmm. Look at if you're a grown, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're an adult, you're 33 years old and you've got somewhat of a career and a family and you're kind of grown up, <clears throat> you're probably going to, you know, just stay sober, follow the direction in mm-hmm. recovery and you're going to, you're going to go kill it. However, that is not the majority of what we're seeing these days in recovery centers. Well, it's not a hotbed of mental health, Tommy, is it? My sponsor would say you can't, uh, what does he say? There's not a thimble full of mental health. So what you're seeing a lot of are youngsters uh, that are poorly equipped for life. Yeah. Poorly equipped for life. What does that mean? I mean, I mean, everything from not knowing how to address an envelope mm-hmm. to poor spelling, grammar, writing, to job applications, interviews, showing up to work appropriately dressed five minutes early, mm-hmm. every shift, grocery shopping, feeding yourself when you, you know, I mean, seriously, do you, if you've only got a hundred bucks a week for groceries, do not buy Oreo cookies, rock stars, and cereal. God, ew. I'm not kidding. All of that. I am not kidding. Mm -hmm. That is what these youngsters, they just, and I'm not beating them up. I'm just saying that's just what you're, that's a lot of what we're seeing. So we're having to like go all the way back to the basics. Sure. And, 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 and I can unpack a lot of this if I needed to, but the reality is we're really having to start with the basics, teaching these guys all the basics and those are life skills. You guys you know. see adolescence? No, no, no adolescence. 18 and over? 18 and up. Mm-hmm. A- 18 and up. Insurance accepted? Yep. Yep. Private insurance, private health insurance accepted. Um, you know, we accept most, mm-hmm. not all, but mm-hmm. most private insurance, private PPOs. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. If you're going to get sober and you're only going to be in a treatment program for so long. It is our responsibility to prepare you for each next phase of treatment and life because you're only going to be with me for a limited amount of time. Mm -hmm. And so it is our responsibility to prepare you for, you know, your next phase in life. Yeah. And if we push you through, rehab and you get to the other side of rehab Mm -hmm. and you still do not know how to take care of yourself, chances are you're going to give up. Yeah. And I think it's really important. You know, I pulled out this pamphlet, which um, it's called AA for alcoholics with mental health issues and their sponsors. Um, Because I, I I started, um, I started a Saturday morning zoom meeting in the pandemic um, because I suffered from depression when I first got sober 
and tried to kill myself a bunch of times. I never felt um, depressed when I was drunk because, you know, I was um, drunk. <laughs> so, Medicated. you know, al- right. So alcohol and drugs was my medicine. <clears throat> and when I speak today um, at conferences about mental health in the workplace, I'm speaking about how uneducated most people are in terms of uh, understanding that alcohol and drugs are but a symptom of a much bigger problem. So to be able to provide the services that are not just about not drinking, right? Because even in the, if anybody is in recovery, they understand that they've done the work through the big book, um, or maybe they haven't, but they should, uh, you know, that alcohol isn't really talked about all that much after a certain page in the book, because it's really all about how we live today and all the things that you brought up, you know, nutrition and, you know, I know that most people, when they're starting out, they don't have a lot of money. So, of course, that's why McDonald's makes your Big Mac so inexpensive. So, you know, just trying to keep everybody sick. And it's very difficult to really start a whole life over. But your journey and how you enter it from the beginning can be, you know, the most important thing. The fact that I did just speak to somebody I went to rehab with when I was 18 years old, you know, that's amazing that we're still alive and that we're sober. And, and if it wasn't for places like that, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today because I come from a big Irish family from New York. Mm -hmm. This is not, you know, it's not very common in my house that we're talking about recovery. A lot of, a a lot of the times rehabs are just planting seeds. Yeah. That grow later. Yeah. Totally. Right. So your first rehab planted a seed. You left and drank, Mm -hmm. did whatever you were doing, but it planted a seed Mm -hmm. that interestingly enough sprouted three or four years later. Totally. You know, Oh my God. And yeah. So I probably wouldn't have gotten sober so young had I not been introduced to rehabs. That is the truth. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that was another one. Yeah, we tell people all the time, hey, this is this might just be one stop on right. the, on a person's journey. Yeah. So let's plant the seeds and plant them well and really try to get in their head and hope that these seeds sprout later, you know? Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know what we would do without uh, these recovery centers because, you know, the message needs to be heard somewhere. And you're absolutely right. When that seed is planted, you, you don't ever forget it. And all of my travels through my addiction – I never forgot that there was a place where people were happy to see me, even though, you know, I was, a, I was a dirtbag. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm not one today. Okay. So don't even play mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. but I was that person because I was uh, a struggling, suffering alcoholic and drug addict. So, well, I'll tell you that, you know, a lot of rehabs in America, um, especially in the hot spots in America are run by, people that are not practicing a program of recovery about that for being you're being very politically correct yes thank you diplomatic that's the the nice way yeah well i'll say it because i'm not in the industry there's a bunch of dipshit dirtbag assholes that are running these spaces that are hurting more people than they're helping so what I would recommend anybody that is watching or is listening, because I used to run a pediatric practice. I ran it for eight years. And because the doctors knew that I was sober, because I always divulged to the bosses that I had back in the day before I went out on my own, 
that when they had somebody that was struggling, they would come and they would ask me, where do we send our kid? And I'm like, okay, well, let's just start like, let's start with some free resources before, you know, you pack it up and send this kid somewhere. He doesn't even want to go a, (laughs) because a lot of I didn't want to go. And my parents spent a shit ton of money on me, but it was a seed. So not a waste of money. But I really think that there needs to be an opportunity to get educated before you go, before you send somebody. You want to make sure, because it all starts at the top. And we're talking to the top here, because if we're talking to the CEO. So if the, the leadership doesn't understand how important it is that you have people's lives in your hands, then you don't want to go there. Because you and I both know, Tommy, that the industry of recovery and mental health is is a it's a it's a money making machine. There's a lot of money murky, to be made. It's murky water, and it's very murky, and it can be very. This, go ahead. Just yesterday, um, I, I crossed paths with a client at one of the facilities, and um, I was introduced to her, and she goes, "I know who you are," and I thought she meant you know, everybody knows who the owner is kind of thing. Mm -hmm. She says, no, no, no. I Googled you before (laughs) I came here. Ah, yes. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, smart. Yes. That's what people should be doing. Yes, exactly. It's it's tricky. I mean, you Google me, you're going to find a lot of good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not the case with a lot of people. And that can be misleading. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it can totally be misleading. So can Google reviews. Google reviews can be really misleading too for the treatment industry. Why is that? Because people end up getting loaded yeah. after they leave yeah. and know that's the best way to, you know, smut them. They get loaded in your program. You got to kick them out. Now they're loaded and they're talking shit. Right. It happens all the time. <laughs> well, that's yeah, I mean, fair, it's not fair. Not a fair represent- it's well, not, not, I'm not saying it, it's not a fair representation you know because you're going to have uh you know it's just it's tricky to find good information when you're trying to research a program you're like god how do i know if it's reputable how do i know if they're into some weird shady stuff how do i know this how do i know that it's it's not easy it's tricky i guess you know uh one of the best ways is uh word of mouth referral no i'm i'm telling you i sent my kid there had a good experience. My kid had a good experience, even mm-hmm. if the kid didn't stay sober or whatever. My kid mm-hmm. had a good experience. Was my kid, my kid was treated well. The facility communicated well with uh, us, the family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, or I went there and even though I didn't stay sober, they did treat me well. Um, you know, Yeah. Well, a lot of people have to understand that, you know, uh, and I say this often, it doesn't mean that that place didn't work. It probably means you didn't work. Oh, 100%. That's (laughs) what I shared about early on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of people say uh, the 12 step recovery program doesn't work. A lot of people say many things that don't work, but if you Mm -hmm. want to do the work that you actually have to do to get to the other side, it always falls down on the person that is trying to get sober um, because mm-hmm. it's, it's so much easier to blame. Uh, we know mm-hmm. that. And, and me as uh, an alcoholic and drug addict that used to blame everything on everybody else, it, it's a real eye opener to be able to take responsibility 
um, for yourself and and take accountability and, and not blame, but do your research. And I think that's the point that I want to send home because when I have a great opportunity to uh, interview the CEO of any rehab facility, and I have interviewed a few on this show, I like it when that person is practicing what they're trying to preach or what, and preaching isn't even the right word, but being um, a model of what it can look like, because I don't want anybody to tell me what they can do. I want them to show me, show me. And my people see me at meetings. It's wonderful as they should. Now it's not like that with every facility and every right. owner or CEO. I get that. However, in my case, you can ask any of the clients that see me at outside meetings, ask my staff, things like that. You don't get that opportunity. You're in freaking, you know, Ohio looking for a facility in Ohio. You're not going to go be able to do that kind of research. I get that. But, you know, at least in this recovery community, we're fortunate enough to, you know, um, see the people that, you know, I'll tell you what, when you're in this recovery community of San Diego and you, you know, the clients, you ask the clients, you ask people in the recovery community, hey, have you ever seen the owner of Joe Schmo Recovery or this recovery spot or that recovery spot? You ever see them in meetings? Oh, no. No, I don't. You ever see the owner of Boardwalk at meetings? Yep. He sponsors my buddy or yeah, that's my sponsor or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, we're just kind of fortunate like that around here. So good. So the next time somebody is searching a, uh, a wonderful recovery center, this interview will pop up. You'll be able to hear from the horse's mouth about recovery <laughs> and the center that he owns. And I am really, really grateful that I was able to speak to, somebody who has taken their own um, trauma and their own path and been mm -hmm. able to turn it into a purpose and a passion because um, we are the folk that will really um, do whatever we can to help because we understand what Absolutely. it's going to be on the other side. So <clears throat> thank you for, thank you for being a peer in this community of recovery, Tommy. Thank My you. My pleasure. Hey, listen, you, you, if, if one of your, anybody in your audience, you know, you guys, um, call Boardwalk Recovery Center in San Diego or San Diego Detox, any one of the places. Whether we're able to directly help you by getting into one of our places or not, we will, I guarantee, we will be a resource to get you help wherever you are and in whatever capacity you need help. We'll be a resource. I love it. Well, thanks mm -hmm. for all you're doing to help others. I appreciate you, Tommy. I appreciate it. Thank you. If you live here in Tampa Bay, we have a beautiful space called Urban Flow that is a non-alcoholic beverage haven. If you're looking for a refreshing and a unique selection of functional drinks, oh my God, that are so delicious, check out Urban Flow, baby.